This is Fearless Beauties, a podcast dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. We're talking to estheticians, skincare specialists, and business owners to uncover best skincare practices, tactical career tips, and ultimately, how we can create a better beauty industry together. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. Welcome to the fifth episode of Fearless Beauties. Today, I'm excited to chat with some inspiring women about entrepreneurship, not just the seemingly glamorous parts about running a business, but what it's actually like to bring an idea to a reality. I'm also excited to announce that Taylor has officially agreed to be my co-host for the podcast. I'm really excited to be a part of this unique and powerful dynamic we have. I've enjoyed the intellectual conversations and it's fulfilling to see the feedback we've been getting from Estes. Entrepreneurs face some really big challenges when they're getting started. And I think one of the biggest challenges is cash flow. You don't have a good sense of what your cash flow will be like and you don't know what periods are really going to be dry, when things are going to ramp up for a busy season. Cash flow is definitely a challenge for sure. What I also believe is challenging is consistently putting oneself in the mindset of success in the midst of those challenges. I would assume that through those dry periods, especially when first starting out, you have to really know yourself and your self-motivation and perseverance has to constantly triumph over the hurdles and recognize that it's okay to ask for help. When I was starting out, I tried to do everything myself because I thought that I didn't have the funds, I didn't have the money or the cash flow to hire people to do things like bookkeeping and taxes. And so that was just a huge, huge, huge mistake. Um, It cost me more in fines and penalties with the IRS once I figured out that my addition and subtraction skills were not as good as they should have been. So I wish I would have hired out the financial part right away and then concentrated on what I knew best, which was taking care of skin. Well, it sounds like you took a pretty big leap, Mary. And I think that's It's okay because now you can actually educate entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs on what to do. And I can assume that your thoughts on how starting a business could be different from the reality of actually executing it. In what ways did you think is different? Well, first of all, it turned out to be a lot more work behind the scenes than I originally thought. I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be so easy. It's going to take me 20 minutes at the end of the day to do this. Well, the things like bookkeeping, inventory, doing the banking, taking care of the laundry, managing the retail, the inventory, what retail to buy, how much supplies did I need on my shelves, the cleaning, taking care of client records. I had no idea it was going to be that time consuming. Yeah, I can only imagine like, wow, maybe I bit off a little more than I can chew. And I think that's a completely normal feeling. Mary, I remember you chatted with Onisha Claire about this. How were her expectations different from her reality of running her business, Bossy Brows? Well, let's find out. This entrepreneurship stuff is real work. (laughs) It is... It's, it's really, when it's just an idea in your mind, I think it's just, I think that's so fun. It's so great when it's just an idea. But realistically, once, it's, once you begin, you've got to execute the idea, make sure it's done right. Once you actually get customers, you've got to follow up. You've got to maintain, make sure the stock, get your insurance. You've got to market, you've got to promote, and you've got to be cute too. It's it's just not for the faint of heart. And 
I tell you, I'm amazed. I don't have a lot on my plate uh, personally. So I'm really amazed at how people multitask, meaning how do you manage a business and create and keep that going and manage a family and create and keep that going and then manage yourself. I don't know how people do all that. I'm trying to shift my mindset and and not think of it as work, like overbearing, but just understanding that it's definitely effort. That just because you have a good idea, you know, doesn't mean it's going to be flowers and roses. The work is the mind work to shift my mind, if that makes sense. Yes. Because the process of, of creating is one thing, but to get it out of your head and into the marketplace is very real. And it, and I think it really does take a, um, a shift because I got to beat the mental demons back all the time. I'm <laughs> having a battle with myself so right now. I'm like, should I cancel this class? I don't really want to do it anyway. When Onisha mentioned fighting back those mental demons, it's that part that I believe is such a challenge for entrepreneurs. We're human. We all have an inkling of self-doubt like, oh, what if this doesn't work out exactly as I planned? Or maybe I should have waited till after finishing school or after the baby is such and such years old. It's a lot of internal pushback for sure. Mary, is there ever a right time to start a business? You know, I think you need to just follow your heart and get started because there's always excuses and reasons and it ends up feeling paralyzing that you can't go forward until things are perfect and then they're never going to be perfect. So you just have to, I think, feel it in your heart, plan and prepare as best that you can. But I don't think you can ever be fully prepared. So at some point, you just have to take that leap of faith and move forward. You know, Taylor, you have a young daughter at home and you're finishing up your graduate degree. How do you manage to stay balanced and multitask? I would love to say I'm managing, but it's difficult for sure. Sometimes I feel like I'm failing both my daughter and myself. And it's that perfectionist and the not wanting to do anything wrong side of me that feels that way. But for one, multitasking is something I believe you are thrown into as a mother and also as an entrepreneur. It's difficult to prioritize things that all seem like a priority. So what do you do then? Like for me, in order to stay balanced, I make sure I wake up every morning and I pray that I have the strength to actually get through the day. And I make a realistic to-do list, emphasis on realistic. And I put the simplest things on there, such as eat breakfast or play with Lauren. Or if I'm days away from homework being due, I put start on homework because in reality, I most likely won't even finish it. But when I create this to-do list, I feel more accomplished when I complete it because the tasks were realistic and attainable, and it just motivates me into the next day. I basically set myself up for success and not for failure. And when I feel successful, it makes me a better mom and a better person overall. I didn't have an imbalance a lot of the time. I tried to manage my schedule. So when my kids were growing up, I would work during the day, but I wanted to be home cooking dinner and they didn't have gourmet meals. That's for sure. They, they, I had the same meal plan every week. They knew they were going to get meatloaf on Monday. I was going to take the leftovers of meatloaf and turn that, mash that up and turn that into spaghetti sauce. And then if there was any leftover spaghetti sauce that got turned into chili, add some beans, it becomes chili. Thursday was rare. We would have chicken. And then Friday was like a take and bake pizza. My kids had a chore chart and they helped with things around the house. And then when they were 12 years old, 
for your birthday, you got a set of colored towels and you, <laughs> you had to start doing your own laundry. And so I would make sure that I could make it uh, to the last few innings of their ball game or the last quarter of whatever sporting events they were in in school. And so I did have the uh, capability of controlling my schedule. But when I was in that business building phase, um, a lot of times, you know, some I have to say, I feel like my family got shortchanged. And then over time, I feel like it balanced itself out. But when my kids were old enough, they had roles in the business. I mean, they came in after school. They had to do the laundry. They had to run errands. They had to do uh, uh, different delivery things. And, you know, oh, oh well, child labor loss. <laughs> Yeah, I think with balance, there's always something you have to give up, whether that is sleep or just me time in order to get things done. It's it's safe to say that it doesn't seem like there is ever a perfect balance between work and life as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I I think our culture puts this expectation that women should be able to have this balance. I mean, how many times do we see, you know, an article that comes into our feed about how to manage our career and family life better? And I think that when you have a passion, you have like a real passion for what you're doing. It's more than a job. And so, and so I did, I mean, I, I loved it. I, I still love it. I still love coming in and doing what I do. But I think that women shortchange themselves. Um, they give to their families, they give to their career, and they skip the part about nourishing themselves. I totally agree. I was going to say before that as both moms and entrepreneurs, it can be easy to lose yourself in all the hustle and bustle. And with society's pressure on top of the pressure we give ourselves, it becomes even more difficult to find a balance. Even if you aren't a mother, deciding to invest in nourishing your soul kind of takes a backseat when it comes to entrepreneurship. Did Onisha tell you how she brought her life into a better balance? She did. So I opened up a nail salon here in Philadelphia. So uh, for nine years, I created, owned, and operated the largest Black-owned nail salon in the country. It was called Coco Nails. And um, we had a huge full-time staff and a lot of recognition and a lot of awards. But the nail salon was my incubator. I was really able to see, um, in terms of beauty, what was profitable that wasn't hair. So we did body waxing, eyebrows, and we did some expressed facials. And after about three or four years, I really, because, you know, at first I wasn't making any money, Mary. I got to be honest. Uh, I wasn't making any money. It was just a labor of love. I love being of service. and I love being in the community. And in the nail salon, it's just like hanging out with your girlfriends. It was a good time. <laughs> It was a good time, but um, I realized that the esthetician services were more profitable. And so I kept the nail salon, but then I opened a brow boutique on the other side of town. And that brand was called Bossy Brows. And so I had this cute little brow boutique. We specialized in brows, body waxing, and express facials. And it did really well. And then I opened up a second brow location outside of Philadelphia. And then I realized I just was out of love with nails because I wasn't spending time at the nail salon anymore. I just became a manager. And Lord knows that was awful. <laughs> just managing people, not even just people, creatives, divas, 
want to be business owners meant just it's one thing when you're in there with them you know and and interacting and you're in their daily lives but just being the manager and the owner there was just no joy in it i mean i was making money but it just wasn't enough for me and so i decided to close the nail salon well, I like to tell people I right-sized my life. I closed the nail salon. I sold one of the brow bars. And I simply have a 700-square-foot, two-office plus waiting room studio. And we just do eyebrows, eyebrow maintenance, eyebrow restoration, and lash lifts. Those, that's all we do. And so I've completely right-sized my life. And um, I'm a solopreneur. And I love it. I think Onisha was brilliant because she put her business hat on and she really looked at the profitability of what she was doing. Yeah, I agree. I admire Onisha because she went with what made her happy. And I have always said this. Finding fulfillment in work is important because we spend so much of our time working. Especially as an entrepreneur, your life is basically your business. It's your brand. And if you aren't happy with it, you won't feel fulfilled. Onisha went from heading up the largest Black-owned nail salon in the country to right-sizing, like she says, to her little brow sanctuary, and she is much happier and making more money. Now, money is important, okay? And I believe she found her balance of making more money and providing aesthetic services and doing what she loves. She is not only benefiting financially, but personally as well. And that is a win-win in my book. I think looking at the numbers is super important. You have to work on your business as well as in your business. And when estheticians are trying to undersell their services or give big discounts, sometimes in order to bring people in the door, they lose sight of the fact that if they have a day of $10 brow waxes, that's not going to keep the doors open and it's not going to give them an income that they can live on. Onisha decided to choose happiness and do what was right for her by shutting down her nail salon and selling one of her brow locations. So Mary, how important is it for entrepreneurs to check in with themselves when building their businesses and do what is not only good for their business, but what also feels right to you? I think that you'll burn out if you're doing what you don't like and your clients are going to be able to tell that you're not into it. And then that energy is just going to drain you. For sure. Passion is energy. It's been proven countless times that money doesn't buy happiness. It's great and all, and it provides stability, but it will only bring you temporary happiness. Finding the balance between profit and passion is imperative. Well, to get another perspective, I spoke with Robin Sutton, the founder of Poise Professional, and how she found her skincare niche. Robin had some really interesting insights about this. Let's hear what she had to say. I was thinking of a name and I pride myself on my professionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really do take professionalism in any sector very seriously. And I was like, poised. Women always want to be poised. We always want to be clean cut, tight and right, look our best, feel our best. And that's why I want, like, if I can get women to feel that whatever their definition of poised is and provide them with a really great professional experience. I love the name. It's just like extremely clear of like, if I'm coming to you, mm-hmm. my expectation is I'm going to be feeling more poised, yes. feeling more professional. Just yes. so clear. Yes. So what kind of treatments do you do? I focus on acne. That is okay. um, acne and hyperpigmentation with the emphasis of black women and women of color. And even though dealing with acne 
throughout my teenage years, after I became a mother, I really dealt with cystic acne and really bad hyperpigmentation and the emotional aspect of dealing with acne that a lot of people don't speak about. That was very important to me of dealing with that and adjusting to motherhood. But on my own journey, of healing from acne and treating my um, treat my own acne just fell into my hand like the niche. That's the that that is what I wanted to focus yeah. on. And just realizing that at some particular point in life, we're gonna probably deal with acne from genetically or any changes that we go through, and it really take a toll on women emotionally. And I focus on that as well with the emotional journey of healing skincare. So it's like when I think about acne, with my background in Aveda, it's a holistic approach. Like you have to take care of your diet. You have to take care of your emotional state in order to reach your skin goals. And so going through that process personally after becoming a mother, that that's what made my emphasis focus on acne, but also from a holistic approach from that. Yeah, I like the idea of the holistic approach. I think sometimes skincare education misses that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your well, your education particularly, where it's focusing on more of a holistic approach, mm-hmm. recognizing that you've got to look at more than just the surface of the skin. You've got to go all the way throughout the entire body, right? Yes. And that's the cool part. And that's the one thing about acne is just like, yeah, I cannot talk about acne and not talk about like gut health or stress level or, you know, different hormonal levels. So that's why I fell in love with that because it it forces you to focus on self, especially after having a life transition of being a mother or whatever life transition take place, stress, new job, a pandemic, (laughs) (laughs) different type of stuff. A correlation between Onisha and Robin's stories is how they found their niche by defining what was important to them. For Anisha, it was sizing down and creating a small boutique brow experience. For Robin, it was finding her passion for self-care after experiencing that cystic acne herself after childbirth. What are your thoughts, Taylor? Do you think your niche needs to come from your own experience? Oh, 100% hands down. First off, I love Robin's personal journey to holistic skincare. I know that after I became a mother just 16 months ago, I started noticing so many changes to my body. And it's not so much skin related because I've always dealt with acne, but I became more sensitive to pollen. Well, I could no longer eat the way I used to, like dairy and raw onions. They no longer sat well with me. And I could feel what I ate now, like after having chocolate or fast food, My body reacted to it so quickly, so I definitely understand adjusting to motherhood in that aspect. But I think that you can only identify your true niche after going through personal experiences, subsequently gaining that knowledge. It's the sweet spot of doing what you love and what you know. But in the world of entrepreneurship, it also has to be profitable. And I think both Robin and Onisha found that balance. I think that's why it takes so long for people to really find their niche. Like you can think you found it and figure out years later that that thing was not your passion. Therefore, you're back at square one and that's okay. What are your thoughts on Robin's holistic experience to treating acne? Well, I think that Robin's approach to acne is really different from what aesthetic students will learn in school, but it's really trending and it's a more realistic approach because I think that research shows there is a much stronger correlation between the skin and other body systems. Her knowledge about a multifunctional approach is also going to help her clients find their skin health sooner. For example, having knowledge 
that 90% of Asians are lactose intolerant because they don't have an enzyme for digesting lactose. And that really will help you in your consultation if you're looking at someone who has Asian heritage and they're struggling with skin breakouts without even being a dietitian. Because I think it's important that we stay in our own lane. We don't start making diet and meal recommendations or we're going to get dietitians really upset with us. But Having that collaboration with a dietitian would be really, I think, vital in an acne practice. But you could help your client's skin by asking them to try a dairy-free diet for a couple of weeks or digging into the consultation a little bit deeper to see if your client has polycystic ovarian syndrome because that hormone imbalance will cause acne breakouts because of the excess androgens. But until the hormones are in balance, you'll be fighting a losing battle. I think other skincare specialists might approach the problem by just looking at the surface saying, well, we're going to give you some strong skincare products that are drying and harsh, and it might clear the acne, but it might not really get at the root of the problem. Yeah, it is a definite fact that skin health is nothing without overall health. And like you said, holistic skincare is definitely a trending approach, and there is a market for that, especially if people do not feel comfortable with medical grade products. Robin set herself apart by providing a service that she was knowledgeable about on a personal level, and I think that is a great way to market. If clients see that their esthetician had or is having the same skin issues they are and is succeeding in treating it, they would feel more comfortable coming to you to fix their skin. Why is it important to set yourself apart as an entrepreneur? Well, I think that clients want to go to the expert. They don't want to spend their money really to see someone who's just mediocre at a lot of things. If they have acne, they want to see the best acne specialist. Or if they have hyperpigmentation, they want to see the person who specializes in hyperpigmentation. Robin spent, you know, all this time really working up a specialty in acne and then COVID-19 happened. Yeah, COVID really shocked us all economically. So Mary, what did Robin do when the pandemic hit? She actually started a virtual program to continue her services. During the pandemic, a lot of people were stressed and eating and especially with the mask and the acne. So it kind of fell in my lap with the virtual consultations because they wanted to meet their needs and they had some time to actually focus on their skincare. So I think that was like the two things I leveled on. Clients wanted their needs met because they was experiencing breakouts and then they actually had some additional time to focus on their skincare and that's kind of how I capitalized off of that. And I'm really big on education. So I was like, oh, I can educate. I was providing education. Yeah. It was interested in that component. And so do you think now that you're opening back up, are you going to continue with the virtual? I am. I am. I actually, it opened up a different market. Uh, I was very nervous to do the virtual. I'm a very hands-on person. I was scared that I was going to probably provide something too strong. Just scared of the whole productive struggle of education. Like you go through the problem, I was scared of that. But it turned out to be very successful. Um, I have really learned a lot. And it opened up the market to have more clients across the states versus um, just being here in Chicago. My clients are not, this virtually are not here in Chicago. Majority of them are scattered. Well, all of them are scattered throughout um, the state. So I was very, I was very proud of myself for that one. And I was well, actually yeah. very impressed. I was like, oh, you trust me enough? I'm a different state to <laughs> for your skin? I don't, I take, I don't take that lightly. And uh, I was able to be successful. And I use face reality and I use skin script. So I was able to be successful with that. So that has been my highlight as my career. 
When COVID hit, Robin was able to pivot and bring her services online. Mary, how important is it to be adaptive to your environment as an entrepreneur? I think that flexibility and adaptability is really key to survival, especially as a small entrepreneur. Being able to pivot and offer what your clients want when they want it, um, rather than having to go through sort of a corporate chain to be able to add a new service. If you're small, you can adapt very quickly. People are so plugged into social media and television, and they want what they want when they see it. When I had my med spa, I know I could count on the phone ringing uh, within a couple of hours to ask if we offered a particular service, if it was being featured on the doctors or the view. And then also having that sense of intuition about what's going to be the next big service. Being an early adopter of technology, that's also really helpful. Taylor, what are your thoughts about Robin's virtual program? Do you think the future of beauty could be online? Yeah, of course. Robin did a great job with taking an unexplainable and unfortunate and truly emotional time for all into an opportunity to expand her business and to expand her brand and also step out of her comfort zone into the educational realm. I think it's brave. And I think that virtual programs, even after this pandemic, are going to be very popular. The future of beauty will definitely be online, even after COVID. Today, actually, my mom had a virtual consultation for her skin because of her hormonal changes. They have drastically affected her skin and she needed answers. I have seen on Instagram how creative Estes are becoming in order to continue marketing their brand and make money with virtual consultations for one. So I think it only helps entrepreneurs. I think it also makes them more driven and hungry to expand their clientele. Like Robin said, her virtual program catch the eyes of clients in other states, and that's amazing. As far as we know, based on the news, we have a while until we see the end of COVID. This is our new normal, and it's important for everyone to accept it and push forward. The power of resilience. We have to get back up even stronger when life knocks us down. Mary, what advice would you give entrepreneurs in the beauty industry to help them weather COVID? I think they need to actually keep that positive mindset, maintaining flexibility, and think about raising their prices, and then learn to boost their retail sales. I think this is the time to invest in a strong online platform that will really showcase their niche. And I know when I talk about raising your prices, I've gotten a lot of pushback from people saying, how can I raise my prices when I've been closed for months? I need the clients. But I think this is the perfect time. You're not going to see the same number of people because of COVID distancing, the sanitation requirements that you're going to have to perform between clients, and the cost of PPE is a lot. Gloves, masks, disinfectant, it's gone up like 30 to 200% since last February. And then when I'm talking about retail, I mean, not just retail skincare, but think about adding other small add-ons like retail home skincare devices. Talking to your clients about maintaining the professional results with skincare and a few home devices could really be an easy add-on. And then think about introducing the virtual consultation and connect with clients in a regular way that is going to then build the trust in the relationship. Yeah, 100%. I know when you mentioned raising prices, Mary, I was like, huh? Yeah, but I get it. You have to do what you have to do to stay afloat during these trying economic times. A big theme that I'm hearing is resilience. 
regardless of what's facing you, getting back up, trying new things until you find the niche that really suits you and your market. Exactly. It's about understanding your strengths and not being afraid to adapt to them and your environment. So I spoke to Beth Kennerson about this, and she had a really interesting perspective as someone who chose estheticians as her niche. Writing's always been my strength. And there are a lot of estheticians who, you know, they have other strengths outside the treatment room, of course, but for a lot of them, they don't know how to describe what they do. They do what they do really well, but when it comes to putting it on paper, they're like, ooh, I'm not totally sure how to describe this, or how do I make this sound like something someone wants to come in and buy or sit down for yes. or benefit from? That's something I do. So, so I was able to, after many, many years of not really utilizing my, my writing skills, I finally married aesthetics with my writing skills. So I do menus and resumes and uh, about, you know, about knees and bios and descriptions of what you do. And so that way the, the professional can hand that over to another professional because it's, I mean, I don't mind going so far as to say it's almost impossible for someone else to write about what we do if they don't know anything about it. I mean, all you're going to be able to do is say, this makes your skin soft. This is nice. This is relaxing where I can describe in detail that a lay person can understand the benefits of microneedling or the benefits of microcurrent. Or I write a lot of private label copy for clients. So if you've got a private label line, once again, you know that you you want to put a line together. You have the finances, you know what color bottles the product is going to go in. You even have like a dream label. So you've got a designer and you're like, oh, whoa, crap. I don't know what to call it. I have to call it. This cleanser needs a name. What? I don't know what to call it. So it needs a name and it needs label copy. And that's where I come in. So for example, some, you know, and of course I'm always hundred percent confidential with, you know, with my clients, but I'll give you like, if you were doing a line, it had six products in it. I would send you six names for each of the six products. Most of the time people pick one of those six, but sometimes me providing those six is enough for them to say, Ooh, I love this one, but I'm going to call it elixir versus toner or toner versus essence. So everything comes full circle. They get what they need to round out their project or their dream in expert terms. Because you you can't just get a copywriter off of Fiverr to do that. There's far better copywriters in the world than I am, but they're not licensed estheticians. Well, I have seen, my experience has been a student here who graduates, who's phenomenal in the treatment room, wants to get started and start her own business, but becomes paralyzed when she has to do the website. Everyone say, you've got to have your blog. You've got to have the menu. They just can't move forward because that. A bio. Bios are hard. (laughs) Yes, they are. It's been great because I keep digging. Like, sure, am I the only person doing this? Kind of pinching myself, like, yeah. Now there's, I've come across three or four other companies that do, they write for the beauty industry. But that's, you know, foundation and hair conditioner and lipstick and things like that. Not professional skincare. 
I'm the only one. I'm like, this is nuts. So I just keep waiting for the next person to pop up. Um, be like, I do that too. So I mean, there's certainly room for more than, more than me, but right now it's, it's a really cool niche. So Taylor, what are your thoughts about how Beth found her niche? Oh my gosh, I had no idea her niche existed. Well, I guess it didn't because she mentioned her being the only one writing for professional skincare. I mean, it is amazing and unique. I honestly had no idea estheticians hire her to basically put a name to their brand. I am truly impressed. And like I mentioned before, finding your niche is about merging what you're passionate about and what you're knowledgeable or have experience in. Beth knew writing was her strength, and she was also a great esthetician. Being just an esthete did not fulfill her 100%, so she figured out how she can incorporate two things she loves, and she's excelling, and I love it. But Beth touched on the important aspect of communication. Why is it so important to effectively communicate your services to your clients? Why should this be a major focus? Well, I think communication is really the key to trust. You have to find out where your client's really at during the consultation. You kind of need to be their best girlfriend to really find out the details to create a strong treatment plan that's going to be effective. I remember a story that Joelle Lee, she's a pioneer in multicultural skin. She spoke at a workshop I attended, and she told the story of how her client claimed to be a healthy eater, but dialing in with her client exactly what she ate the client confessed that she eats six Krispy Kreme donuts a day because the office where she worked was right next door to Krispy Kreme. So she had two for breakfast on her way into work, two more in that two o'clock slump, and then two more on her way home from work. So if you're just asking your client, do you eat healthy? And they say, yes, you're really not digging deep enough because you need to find out what your client's idea of healthy means. When you're discussing your treatment options, you need to make sure to include all of the complications, all of the risks, and actually making sure that they're making an informed decision. I remember a horror story with a client I had who came in for consultation. She wanted me to treat the sun damage on her arms. I agreed to do that. I explained how the underlying sun-damaged areas would rise to the surface of her skin. It would turn brown and crusty and flake off. And she said, great, let's do it. I'm treating her arms. This is on a Thursday. She explains to me that, yes, my daughter's getting married on Saturday. And I'm wearing a sleeveless dress. So I want my arms to look beautiful. And I <laughs> neglected to tell her that her arms were going to immediately turn brown and crusty and flake off. That the brown crustiness would probably start in two days and that would gradually flake off over the course of two weeks. So on that Saturday of her wedding, her arms would look the worst that they would ever look. And so she had to buy a sweater to wear over the dress to cover up her arms. And she was not happy with me. I wouldn't be happy with you either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but this is all the learning experiences where you learn to take the time in your consultation and absolutely cover every single thing. So now I say, what's your time frame? Do you have any special events coming up? So that I can make sure to understand that we have the same expectation. My expectation of the progression of her treatment and my client's expectation of what her skin is going to look like. 
So Taylor, what are some ways that you've managed to communicate fearless beauties that has really resonated with people? One way is that I mention the mission as much as possible. Treating skin of color with confidence. Before the killing of George Floyd, I focused on providing inserts from the book on all chapters, Asian skin, Nordic skin, transgender skin, etc. But as the BLM movement picked up, I made sure to capitalize on that and focus not only on racial injustice posts, but providing education on black skin. Our followers really appreciated that content, and I believe that it showed them how inclusive we were from the beginning. As the movement's momentum started slowing down on social media, I guess you could say, I still made sure to reference it every now and then. It's a big deal, but I did not want to put other ethnicities and cultures on the back burner. I guess I just continue to highlight everyone, all skin, equality. That is what we're all about. Provide as much education as possible. And with this podcast, we are really communicating with people on another level. So I make sure to market that as much as possible as well. I think that now estheticians are going to really struggle if they don't have an online presence. You know, Fearless Beauties really picked up when we began to enhance our online presence, but especially with COVID. I think experts say that you really build your business with personal referrals and word of mouth, but today's limiting social contacts and interactions and honestly, the transcendency of social media, the word of mouth, I think, is losing. Yeah, and I don't have statistics for that. It's just like a personal gut thing of like, I think word of mouth is losing and social media and our online presence is taking over because people will check out your ratings and your reviews online. Then they decide if they want to book an appointment. Then when you get them, you get that personal contact with them, that one-on-one being being genuine and authentic and really interested in each person's story when you have that initial consultation. So Taylor, what kind of advice do you give aspiring business owners who are looking to build their client base? Well, that's a great question, Mary. I would first advise them to internally analyze their personal experiences, their knowledge and passions, and find something that aligns with that and is profitable. But to build your client base, it is important to be honest, real, and express that on social media. People like to see transparency. It gives them something to connect with. Like using social media to build your brand and client base is so important. If you do not know where to start, ask for help. Lastly, do the necessary research to find what your ideal clients need and want. Feel free to ask them what they want more of from you and your brand whether it's different services or products, and find a way to incorporate that into your business. Within this episode, we've talked to three incredible women who have built their businesses from the ground up and really owned in on their niche. A niche is going to set you up as the expert rather than the generalist. When people who care about their skin want to come to a professional, they want someone who is the best in that particular problem. You might start out as a generalist, but I think it's really smart to eventually transition to a niche or a specialty, then build some collaborating relationships with other estheticians. For example, when I first started, I did everything. I did waxing and facials and microderms and chemical peels and laser hair removal and laser skin rejuvenation and every bright new shiny thing that came along, I wanted to do it. But after a while, I just knew that waxing and facials weren't my thing. 
So I had estheticians that loved that part of the business and I trusted them and I would refer them, refer my clients to them if they wanted those treatments. Taylor, what key lessons will you be taking away from the episode today? Well, I will definitely be taking away how important it is to find your niche as an entrepreneur and that it doesn't always come easy. It takes some trial and error, but eventually you will get there if you stay focused, capitalize on your strengths and do what truly makes you happy. I love those three things. I really appreciated these women's stories because they got started, they recognized their strengths, and then they moved their businesses into ways that they could succeed and be happy. Yes, I really appreciated their stories as well. I love how transparent and honest they were. Mary, what should listeners who really want to start their own business in aesthetics remember? Well, I think that they should remember that there's no perfect time to get started. They need to follow your heart. Get as many ducks in a row as you can, and then take a leap of faith and do it. Embrace it. Go all in. Taylor, what are your last minute pointers? Just remember to stay true to you. Continuously build on your social media presence is very important. And be fearless in your pursuits. Thank you for listening to Fearless Beauties, a show dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. Until next time, keep educating yourself, remember to stay open, and be fearless in the pursuit of creating a better, more inclusive world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Special thanks to my co-hosts for today, Taylor Phillip and our producers at Quill, Inc.